preach. I'm telling you, I am so amped up and excited. I was told this morning I might be a little bit over-caffeinated, so I took a couple deep breaths, and I think I'm ready for this. Uh, but I'm really excited. Um, you probably, if you've never done public speaking before, you don't understand some of the... Um, background that goes or behind the scenes stuff that happens throughout the week. But in the development of this series of messages, there have been some really good moments where I've been like, God, this is good. This week, I really feel like God, uh, if I could use a modern term, downloaded (laughs) to me some important truths that I am so excited to share with you today about standing your ground. So we've been in this week, in this series now. This is our fourth week. Last week we covered Daniel three and we talked about the fiery furnace. We talked about standing up for Jesus, right? We talked about what that looks like. If you weren't with us, I highly suggest and recommend that you go on our website to listen to the message. Um, go online and listen or go to your favorite podcasting site. Uh, we've got it. We're posted all over the internet. The idea behind the series is this, that we as believers are at war and that we need to stand our ground. As your pastor, it's my job to help equip you with the tools and the training necessary to win the war. The truth is, each of us must stay alert, amen? And we've got to understand our opponent in order to win the victory. So today, I want to help you develop a strategy for victory, each one of you individually. Um, Before coming to Pastor Celebrate Church here in 2013, uh, my wife and I had the privilege of pastoring a church on the Hawaiian island of Oahu. It was beautiful. Uh, It did not get cold during Christmas unless you traveled up the mountain on the big island to go see some snow. Uh, Otherwise, it was Hawaiian breezes, sitting in a hammock. Just imagine that. It was amazing. Palm trees and all that stuff. Big sea turtles floating by. Put it on your bucket list. If you haven't gone, you should go. Um, but if you don't know this, I love history. Um, I don't necessarily call myself a history buff, but I love history. It's always been one of my favorite subjects. Living on Oahu for us meant that I got to go and visit some of the historic sites, learn a lot of, of history about the Hawaiian native people, but also America um, as we have Pearl Harbor and we have something there, which is a memorial called the USS Arizona. And I really, really enjoyed visiting, um, I, I will call them and refer to them as sacred grounds. It was a very special, somber sort of moment uh, the first time I ever went. I went back a half dozen times. Every time we had family in or anybody else, I took them as part of the big deal to go there. Um, but we're told on the early, in the early morning hours of Sunday, December 7th, 1941, that those hours were peaceful. But that day has become known as a date that will live in infamy. A radar operator on the northern tip of the island reported that he and another private were seeing an unusually large blip on the radar screen. It included a very, or indicated a very large number of planes about 132 miles away and they were approaching really fast. When the radar operator called in this unusual large blip on the radar, he was told by the officer in charge these famous words. Don't worry about it. 
There was a flight of U.S. B-17 bombers that were scheduled to come in that morning from San Francisco. And so the assumption was from the person in charge that he must have been seeing that large blip. But, you know, obviously it was the planes coming from San Francisco. History tells us that it was not. The blip on the screen was, in fact, the first wave of more than 180 Japanese fighters, torpedo bombers, dive bombers, and horizontal bombers who surprise attacked the city and the the actual um, station there of Pearl Harbor and all of the island's main airfields just before 8 a.m. When they did this, they plunged the United States into World War II. Sadly, on that day and the the following days as a result of injuries, 2,335 American servicemen and women were killed and 1,143 were wounded. President Franklin Roosevelt gave a speech to a joint session of Congress that Monday, the next day, and it has become one of the most iconic speeches in modern history. In it, he says this quote, Hostilities exist. There is no blinking at the fact that our people, our territory, and our interests are in grave danger. Today, almost to the day, but several days from now, we'll celebrate, or not celebrate, commemorate the 77-year anniversary of that infamous day. And I want to echo to you the same sentiments that President Roosevelt echoed. He echoed them and spoke them in a natural setting, a powerful speech. It was 25 sentences, lasted less than seven minutes. I'm going to preach a few more minutes than seven today. But I'm going to give you some information that will help you see with your spiritual eyes that spiritually speaking, a state of war has existed We are at war. That's the name and the title of today's message. I want to frame it in that way so that you understand the conflict and you're prepared for the fight. President Roosevelt says in his speech, as of the moment of that bombing, we were at peace with these guys. There, there was no conflict or war on the horizon. Yes, there were some financial constraints, and if you know anything about history, there were some other details that went into it, but this was a surprise attack that was devastating on American soil and cost many lives. So I say to you today the same words that he said. Hostilities exist. I want you to be thinking with your spiritual ears and mind today. There's no blinking at the fact that the people of God, our territory, and our interests are in grave danger. We are at war. In fact, this is how the Apostle Paul puts it in Ephesians 6.12. He says these words, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. I want you to think about this because we are at war I hear several things throughout the body of Christ in the local area, but also in our body of Christ here, that there are people who are under attack. You might believe that it's a boss, a spouse, a whatever, but the Bible, the word of God tells us we are not wrestling against a flesh and blood enemy. It says this, but against rulers, against authorities, 
listen to how it phrases this. Against cosmic powers over this present darkness. You could read there the word culture, if you would. Powers over this present culture. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is a very intense portion of scripture that Paul lines out, and we'll read more of it later on in the message. He lines out how we can stand firm in the midst of this battle because truly we are not wrestling a human enemy. Our battle today in 2018 is not really against culture. It's not really against our boss or our spouse or our professor or even people in the opposite political party. Our battle is a spiritual one and it is against a very real, and I have to say this, a formidable enemy. Scripture tells us that the enemy of God is the enemy of his people. Listen to what it says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. It says these words, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He finishes in verse 9 by saying, Resist him firm in your faith. I want you to understand this, and it would do you well because it is around the time to remember Pearl Harbor, to do a little bit of history if you want to look into the history of it, but uh, the details of what happened that morning uh, could not really have been prevented, Okay, but they happened as they did, those details happened as they did, but... What ends up being told is the story of those two radar operators. One of them was hungry for breakfast and wanted to shut down the radar station a few minutes early. The other one said, no, I don't think we should do that. It was like six minutes till eight. And he said, ah, what's the big use? Let's, the big deal. Let's just go and have breakfast. And the detail comes out that this radar operator that was waiting for that 8 o'clock exactly, in those few minutes, he was able to see the details of what was happening on the radar screen. So it was that he was able to do that and then call in and find out all those details. He wanted to be sober-minded and alert. I think that the people of God have become lazy... I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about other people who are going to listen to this. I'm talking about them, okay? I think that we, I'll put myself in that category, have become non-alert. We have become lazy and lackadaisical in our approach. We have become easygoing in our approach. And we're not understanding that we are at war. Write this down. Number one is this. I have a real spiritual enemy. See, culture isn't our enemy, but the God of culture is. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 10. He says this, the thief, meaning the devil, he's talking there about sheep in a pasture or a fold, and he's talking about himself as a good shepherd, and he says this in verse 10, the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy But I love this. He says, I came that they might have life and it more abundantly. 
So Daniel faced a few battles in his day, and they were not against humans. They weren't even against lions. I find it interesting, and the correlation is there, that what he says in 1 Peter 5, that the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion. He's seeking something to eat, to devour. Remember, the enemy of God is the enemy of his people. We have a real spiritual enemy. All right, I don't know if you know what this is, but a spoiler alert is when you talk about a movie and you say, everybody dies in the end, and they haven't seen the movie, and you're like, oh, um, spoiler alert, I'm actually going to start by telling you the end of the story. Listen to what King Darius declares after Daniel has been saved from the lion's den in Daniel chapter 6. Listen to these words. Verse 25. It says, Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. Amen? And his dominion shall be to the end. Verse 27 says, He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. Our God is greater than our enemy. Amen? Come on, somebody. We've got to understand that although we are at war, we need to know that our God is greater and he is undefeated. You ought to write that down. Our God is greater than our enemy. 1 John 4, 4 puts it like this. When writing to them, he says, you are from God and you have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. This should be a confidence-building message, a hope-building message. It is not as the Chinese symbol of the yin and the yang, the white and the black, equally evil, equally good. That's not how this plays out. The enemy is real and he's formidable, but he has no power in comparison to the power of our mighty God. Amen? So we've got to understand this. All right, I I want to give you a summary of what happens in Daniel chapter 6 because I I don't want to just stay there. There's a couple other places that I'm going to take you today. If you're not familiar, I'm already taking advantage of the fact or taking for granted for the fact that you know that there's a story in the Bible about Daniel being thrown into a lion's den. Daniel is promoted to an influential office in the government. And here's what happens. Jealous rivals end up tricking the king into issuing a decree which condemns Daniel to death, hoping for Daniel's deliverance, but unable to save him because he's gotten in good with the king. The king has to cast him into a pit of lions. It's sealed with a stone. His signet ring is marking the stone so that no interference can happen. No human can save Daniel. The next morning, the king hurries back and he calls out to Daniel asking if Daniel's God had saved his friend. And Daniel replies that God has sent an angel to close the jaws of the lions. And he says this, because I was found blameless before him. 
I want you to understand something this morning. I'm not perfect. You know that. And I know that you're not perfect. But we can be blameless in God's sight. How is that possible? It's possible because we allow Jesus, now having the Old Testament and the New Testament, and understanding the sacrifice of Jesus, God's only begotten son, we understand that because of his sacrifice, he calls us blameless. Yes, I'm guilty of a lot of things, but because of the blood of Jesus Christ applied to my spirit, I am no longer found to have blame. Daniel, in this moment, understands redemption. It's a good, good message today. The king then has those who conspired against him. He takes them, their wives and their children, and he throws them into the lions in Daniel's place. Now, I'm not sure how many lions were in the pit, but I know this seems like a lot of people. There were a group of governing authorities that wanted Daniel dead, and they end up suffering the fate they would have wanted for him. Their wives and their children do too. Daniel chapter 6 tells us that their bones were broken immediately, that all of them, I'm imagining they were eaten by ravenous lions that had been hungry all night long. So God, in his own way, brings justice to the people of God. The king then issues the decree that I just read a moment ago. There are a few things that I want to point out in the text, though, um, about this, this battle that Daniel faced and how we ourselves can be saved, I love it, from the power of the lions. Read with me verse 3 of chapter 6. It says this, Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because, say that phrase, an excellent spirit, say it with me, excellent spirit was in him and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Verse four says, then the high officials sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. You know what I take from this? I take that he lived life according to God's standard, that he took steps to make sure that he lived righteous and holy, regardless of the culture around him, regardless of the fact that he had been exiled, regardless of him being in a different place than he wished to be, he found himself still serving the same God he'd always served. And so he chose to live a life where he could not be found any complaint or any fault because he was faithful. Verse 5 says this, Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel. Pay attention. Unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. In other words, this guy obeys everything that the king tells him. So we've got to do something in order to trip him up or trap him. There it is. The attack focused on Daniel, but since they couldn't find any fault in him, they had to write a law that would get him in trouble based on his serving of God. We could say in these terms today, based on his religious stance. 
Let me be clear about this. The devil will use anything and anyone in your life to attempt to defeat you. There's no holds barred. He wants to defeat you. He will use the people that love you to try to defeat you. He will use the job that you enjoy to try to defeat you. He will use anything. And this is so important that we understand. Make no mistake, the enemy of God's people, the enemy of Daniel, he was inspired. These men were inspired to attack Daniel, not just because of selfishness or pride, or I can't believe you lifted up this exiled guy from this other country to now govern over us. No, that seems like it's all human flesh and blood. But the point is this, it wasn't. There was something very, very, very dark happening in the soul of these men who were inspired to attack Daniel. So they asked the king, to sign into law that prohibition against worshiping any other God besides the king for 30 days. I read up on this this week and I found it interesting that it seems like those who served the king would have been polytheists. They would have been serving other gods at the time. So it meant for them, they would have to sacrifice as well and not serve any other God for this 30 days. So they were going to experience a small penalty, but they've set this trap and now they can finally get rid of this guy. Verse 10 says this, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. Listen to this last phrase, as he had done previously. See, here's the thing that we face as believers. When circumstances change, we tend to think that God has changed. I'm preaching to you this morning and you, you got to file it away for tomorrow or you need to use it today. But I'm telling you, when our circumstance changes, we actually believe that God has somehow changed. And that is not the case. You see the faithfulness in Daniel that's here and he goes and does what he's always done before, worship God. I want you to think about this. Why is Jerusalem in the picture? He's miles and miles away. He's in another kingdom in another place. It's not just the sentiment of Daniel's heart longing for his home. But I, I've got to believe, according to Daniel's life and this stuff that we read in the book of Daniel, in Daniel's mind, it was not only his rightful home, but it was the home of God. It was the temple and the house of God. It had been destroyed. They'd been exiled. And he's longing, he's longing and longing. I've got a message to preach about Psalm 42 and how the deer pants for the water. If you know anything about deer, they don't pant under normal circumstances. They only pant when an enemy is chasing them on their heels. The first thing they do when they feel safe is they find water. David himself later is getting chased by enemies. And he says, my soul longs for you like a deer pants for water. God, you've got to rescue me. And yet we hear the words of King Darius say in the end of that chapter, in Daniel chapter 6, this God, the God of Daniel, is the one who rescues and delivers. Amen? Yes. So Daniel knew the document had been signed. 
yet he disobeyed knowingly. Here's the thing. You all rebel. Ever got a speeding ticket? Ever sped and didn't get a ticket? Okay. All of us have rebelled. We've all rebelled, but here's the deal. Our human heart longs to rebel against the wrong thing. We rebel against our appearance or our authority structure or that sort of stuff. Here's what I'm telling you today, church, is you've got to rebel against the right thing. And this is what Daniel does. He knew the document had been signed and he disobeys it knowingly. Something similar happens to Peter and the apostles in Acts chapter 5. They'd been arrested. If you know anything about Acts, Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes. It fills the believers. Peter, who couldn't even walk on water. Uh, <clears throat> none of us could, okay? But Peter, who fell in the water, okay? He, he, he lost his faith. He denied Jesus. All of these things happened, yet the Holy Spirit empowered him to become a leader in the church. And now several chapters later, several months or years later, they've been preaching and now they've been brought in on charges before the high priest. Here's what Peter says in verse 29 of chapter 5. He says, we must obey God rather than men. So when culture pushes its agenda on you, stand firm. You can win the victory if you know who you're fighting and whose side you're on. Amen? So here on American soil, the battle is raging. My fear is that rather than disobeying man, many believers have taken up a cause and are disobeying God. This is not for the church across the way. This is for you. The temptation is there for us to disobey God. It's there during the Christmas season to not tithe because we need to spend money for our Christmas presents. It's there when we are supposed to be filled with joy and understanding the presence of God and having peace, yet we're given to chaos and we, and we take it hook, line, and sinker. We disobey. We stand in the place of disobedience sometimes. We have got to remember we are at war. Look at what happens in Daniel chapter 6. Verse 18, it says, Then the king went to his palace. This is so interesting to me. <laughs> uh, speaking about disobedience, the Bible does say we should pray and fast. We don't like to fast. That means skip a meal. And it's bad to talk about that after Thanksgiving, although you're probably still full from Thursday's meal. Uh, the king, this pagan king of a nation that took all of the Israelites he goes into a moment where he says, don't set any food before me. I'm concerned about something. No diversions were brought to him and sleep fled from him. I don't know if that's his human worry or if it's maybe in fact that God was wanting to do something in his heart. I'm gonna tell you something that ought to cause you to shout. While it's true that you have an enemy, that you have an adversary, you have to realize I also have an advocate. You may understand that you have an adversary and you may have been beaten down by this adversary, the enemy of God and his people. But you have got to understand the word of God is clear that we have been given an advocate. I want you to understand the word adversary, when we talk about that, would be opponent, like in a, in a boxing match or in a war, op opposite sides or opposing views. 
Now, when we come to the idea of the word advocate, it is like a lawyer. It is a legal term of someone that is advocating for you on your behalf. First John 2 puts it like, like this. It says, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So while you have an enemy, you also have an advocate. Write that down. That's number two. I have an advocate. Let me go back to adversary because I don't think I'm done with that. The devil was not made up by some medieval painters who decided to put red horns on an ugly figure. I I want you to understand the devil has existed. He was created by God. He rebelled and disobeyed and he has been given a certain amount of power. The power he has has been given by God himself to the devil. And he's very real. It's not something to toy with or to think, ah, the devil's not really real. But it's also something to understand that he has an army. He has an army and he has demons that would want to get into our life. He has intentions to destroy, to steal, and to kill. To steal your hope, to steal your joy, to kill your marriage, to kill your future. He wants to do all of that. But our advocate is so much better. You and I have an advocate that has never lost a case. Though we are at war with a real enemy, he, our advocate, is undefeated. Another truth you've got to stand on, number three is, I'm part of an army. And it's a big one. Come on, somebody. Y'all to be filled with joy today. It's a big army. In 2 Kings chapter 6, the prophet Elisha is being hounded by the king of Syria. And in the middle of the night, the king of Syria sends an army to surround the city that he knows the prophet is in, in hopes to capture the prophet unawares. Elisha's servant sees the troop formations in the natural. He says, Elisha, what are we going to do? 2 Kings 6 verse 16, Elisha says this, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Come on. Those who are with us are more than those who are against us. The enemy is nothing but, if I could put it in terms like this, it's like a little puppy with a really big shadow, okay? He's he's small compared to what we've got going on. And we've got to understand, but here Elisha's servant is seeing in the natural. Elisha prays something incredible. He has a moment because he says with this servant, do not be afraid for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then he prays to God and he says, God, I pray that you would open my servant's eyes for him to see what is really there. God did and the servant opens his eyes and he sees the hills filled with horses and chariots that are lit on fire. God will defend you when you're doing the right thing, when you're walking in his way, when you're serving him, when you're trying to see that his will be done instead of your will be done. And it's time that we started seeing with our spiritual eyes. Yes, there's an enemy and we see him, but we are not alone. I'm preaching better than you're shouting. (laughs) The enemy would have you convinced that you are alone. But you are not. 
His goal is to isolate you or convince you that you are isolated. I'm working on a series of messages for the coming year about the battlefield of the mind and about winning the war that we play on ourselves. And I'm not a, I'm not a psychologist, psychiatrist, any of the nature. I haven't had any training in that. I am telling you, though, there is a spiritual significance to things like depression or what we term in a general sense mental illness of any sort there is a spiritual origination to some of that stuff and yes there is chemical imbalance and all those other things we support doctors we love them we are not a church that says don't see a doctor only get prayed for it not at all i take medicine when i'm in pain i need it you take medicine if you have a chemical imbalance but i have got to tell you something you are at war and the enemy is seeking to defeat you you. The conflict that you're in is real. The people of God, our territory, and our interests are in grave danger. But we serve a mighty God, the only living God. And if God is for us, the word of God says it like this, who can be against us? My answer is everyone and everything. But let me put it to you in maybe a better, easy, understood way. If God is for us, who can win against us? The answer is no one and nothing. No divorce, no mental illness, no issue at your job. Nothing can defeat you when you have got God on your side. I'm going to preach this again next week because it's so good. Number four. Number four is this. I have weapons. So I've got an enemy, I've, I, <laughs> I've got an advocate, I am part of an army. Let me, let me go back because I'm, I'm, I'm so excited. I just can't contain it. Let me go back to number three one second and say this. When I talk about isolation, I'm telling you the enemy wants you not part of the body of Christ. I'm telling you I can hang a Christmas ornament and a tree topper and all that stuff. I can do it all this Friday all by myself. I can. It'll take me hours and hours and hours and it won't be any fun, but I can do it. The enemy wants you to not be part of stuff where you're together because when we're together, we get encouraged. We're not going to have a Bible study on Friday, but I'm sure somebody's going to share something that's encouraging to someone. It's going to bless their heart. Joy's going to fill them. And the enemy knows that, so he tries to keep you away from that. There's no guilt if you can't be here on Friday. I'm just using it as an example to say he wants to get you isolated and keep you that way, or at least get you thinking you are. But you're not. Number four. All right, skip it around a little bit. I have weapons. On, on to Ephesians chapter 6, from Daniel chapter 6 to Ephesians chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 10, it says this, Finally, be strong in your own human strength and your own might, because you've got the power. You've got the power. No, that is not the case. That is not what is said here. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus and he says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of Dexter. No, 
Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. There's that word again, stand your ground, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And let me just tell you something. The devil's not stupid. I hate to give him any credit, but he's not dumb. He's no fool. He's got plenty of tricks up his sleeve, and he wants to win against you. And here Paul tells the church, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. I already read verse 12, so I'll jump to verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, Verse 14 says, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. You might not understand the the terminology that they use, but if you could understand it in this term, today's day and age would be like a Kevlar vest, something to protect you from the onslaught that's coming. Verse 15, it says, and as for shoes or as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Verse 16, in all circumstances, you've got to see this church. I'm asking you, I'm begging you today to listen with your spiritual ears and hear this word. In all circumstances, when you are at your weakest moment, you're to do this next part. Take up the shield of faith. When you feel the strongest that you've ever felt, you're supposed to take up the shield of faith. It says this, the shield of faith is a powerful weapon which with you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. I've got to tell you a few things about the armor today before I finish up. The first thing is this, putting on the armor is a choice. Every piece is a choice. I know of a family who uh, took it very seriously with their children. They had boys, so it worked out really well. They always want to, you know, break stuff, destroy stuff, go to war, you know, as little boys. And this mother would pray and this father would pray at times with the children. And as they got up in the morning, they would say, okay, as we're sitting here on our bed, let's pray that the Lord would help us have a good day, but let's have the belt of truth on us. And let's ask the Lord to help us have faith in whatever circumstance we face. Let's take a moment to look at the sword of the spirit. Like that's intense and that's the kind of life that I want to live myself. That's the kind of life that we are to live as believers. Here are the items, the belt of truth. There's a whole series that could go into this and each week could be a different piece. I'm not going to do that today, but I'm over... FDR seven minutes and I'm, and I'm clear into 30 myself. So I'll just outline them quickly. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, shoes of the gospel, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation. Listen to me. Your brain (laughs) is protected. When you have the helmet of salvation on your, your mind is a battlefield. 
And the sword of the spirit, if you'll notice, there are several defensive weapons or protections. And there's only one offensive weapon, and that is the sword, and it is the word of God. And here's something that we don't mention very often, or it's not mentioned very often in the messages that I've ever heard. In that context of the, the armor of God, it says prayer in the spirit. Sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit. How are you going to get battle ready if you haven't been talking to the one who is going to win the war? How are you going to be battle ready if you haven't read what he wrote thousands of years ago that has been preserved for you over time? How are you going to be ready if you haven't received the gospel and salvation? If you're not standing in his righteousness and living in his truth? We can't. But clothed in the whole armor of God, the weakest of God's children is more than a match for the devil. I'm telling you, this is good for your soul today. When you're clothed in God's invincible armor, you will be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. You will be able to stand against every scheme of the devil. When you're armored up, you are fully protected when my wife and I were there in Hawaii and serving at that church, we were a mile away from MCBH, Marine Corps Base Hawaii. It was incredible to be able to go onto the base with some of the Marine families and go, I had the pleasure of eating in the officer's um, quarters and the restaurant that only officers go to. Like it was very cool to be there. It was awesome to have these believers that were believers in North Carolina and Texas and Alaska and everywhere else who then got shipped out and got stationed in Hawaii, who then wanted to just show up and say, hey, put me in, coach. I'm ready to serve in church. There were believers that were there. And I found it so interesting in the conversations that I had with them, those who had been in war. My grandfather was in a war. My brother served in the Air Force. He was in a war. But in all these conversations, you find that there are people who are casualties of war. They may not have died physically, but they have still become a casualty of war. There's a spiritual cost for the battle that we face. There is. And we have a choice. We can get hurt and we can get bitter and choose to lash out that way or we can get joyful and get filled with hope. There are lots of choices so that we don't have to be a casualty of war. The word of God is the only offensive weapon in our arsenal. And it's a great one. So I, I type this, use it, read it. Learn it. Study it. Don't come back without it. We are a Bible-believing church. But you can't believe what's in it if you don't know. I know I'm preaching to somebody that's not here. I know you all read your Bible even at Thanksgiving and every day this week and all that stuff. But I'm telling you, the enemy knows. He knows you want to sleep and hit the snooze button. Right? He knows he wants you to be busy going from place to place and doing these things and not taking time. But you've got to learn it, use it, read it, study it. Worship team, would you join me? At the end of our services, we always do something that we call the encore. It's just another chance for worship to happen, for us to kind of engage in the presence of the Lord for this last moment together. For us to make decisions and commit 
maybe you say today, you know what, pastor, it's been a while. I've, I've heard about the armor of the Lord and I feel like I'm missing a piece. Maybe it is the word of the Lord, the sword of the spirit. Maybe it's something else completely, entirely different. But in the next few minutes, I, I want you to be challenged to apply this message to your life, not just for the here and now today, but to commit and say, this week, I'm going to battle up. I'm going to armor up rather, and I'm going to be ready for the battle every day. I'm going to have my spiritual eyes open so that when my boss yells at me for something I didn't do, I won't lash back out. I'll understand that there's something else going on. I'll know that I am at war. FDR went on to say in his speech to the joint session of Congress, such a powerful speech. He said, no matter how long it may take us to overcome this premeditated invasion, the American people in their righteous might will win through to absolute victory. With confidence in our armed forces and with the unbounding determination of the American people, we will gain the inevitable triumph. So help us God. This was as a result of some very, very intense time of writing the speech out and saying, I've got to be determined and I've got to help our people, the American people, to be determined that we can win this. I want to offer you today a spiritual version of those same words. No matter how long it may take us to overcome the premeditated invasion from the garden to this day, the people of God in their righteous might will win through to absolute victory with confidence, not in battle or in arms uh, forces of a human nature, but with confidence in our all powerful God and with an unbounding determination that God will win the victory. We will gain the inevitable triumph. So help us, God. Let me read to you the last verse in Daniel chapter 6. After King Darius makes the proclamation about the serving of God, listen to what it says. It says, so this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. I'm telling you, a blessing is coming for those that stand firm. It doesn't matter what they say. It matters what he says. God says, I'll shut the mouth of the lion. In those days, Daniel faced physical lions and spiritual ones, the men who tried to see him die. And Paul the apostle says that we are facing a spiritual lion ourselves that's roaring about to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But a blessing is coming for those who stand firm in the face of that enemy. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says this, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Would you stand with me today? I love the moments in the movies where there's this giant war cry of we're going to battle and we have got this under our belts. We are going to win this. I'm not saying that you have to physically yell here today. I am asking you to search your spirit to see if there's a spiritual roar that you have that you could say, God, I'm standing today with you. 
I don't know what you're facing in the battle that you're facing. It could be something I mentioned about depression. It could be something about a job circumstance. I don't know, but you are at war. And you've got to reach deep down inside, not in your human strength, but you've got to reach down in your spirit. And you've got to be convinced that God is on your side, that your advocate is bigger than your enemy. Hallelujah. And that you are going to win. Father, I've done my best today. I pray right now that as these people let this this message soak into their spirit, that they would find hope, that they would find peace in the midst of the battle, and that they, Lord, would today choose to put on the full armor of God. We want to pray for you today. If there's something going on in your life, Pastor Grant's going to go to that prayer station. I'm going to go to this one. As the worship team sings, we're going to encourage you to just step out in your seat and come meet us over there. We'll pray for you if you have a need in your body or your finance, your home, whatever it is. We want to agree with you in prayer because we are the army of God. Amen. Amen. Look at me, church. We're the army. And we can do this together and not alone. So as they sing this last song about building our lives on the hope that's in Jesus, step out of your seat and receive prayer for whatever you need.